Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. Theology Central Radio is back on the air. Now, this is my attempt, well, to use technology, right, like I'm using right now, to go live so that people can listen to us around the world, but to go live to do something very specific, right? I could go live and do a program today, do a broadcast today. We could do something Today, but Theology Central Radio is about taking things from the past and bringing them back to the present. Theology Central Radio is where I walk down the creaky steps down to the basement where our library of content is waiting and it's all covered in cobwebs and dust because it's been sitting there for years. And I walk around and I look and I'm like, oh, there's something from November the 1st, 2020. I grab it. I blow off all the dust and I'm like, let's take this and let's play this for everyone. Well, on this Thursday, February the 22nd, 2024, I I, I don't know if it's a great idea. I don't know if it's a, a bad idea, but it's something we have been trying. Some of the numbers for the live broadcast for Theology Central Radio, they've, they've done, they've done very well. Some of these episodes have done very well. I haven't heard a lot of feedback, at least on, you know, at least in my email inbox. If you have any ideas or thoughts on it, you can always email me news. If at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. And you can tell me if you think it's a good idea. My, my thinking is this. We have probably four or 5,000 hours of content. Easily, easily. Maybe even more if we could find, if I could look around and find all of the content. I may even have more than that. In fact, I think I have a couple of thumb drive drives downstairs. I may look at them today. We may have, we may have content going all the way back to like 2001, 2002. We have content going back probably well over 24, maybe over 24 years. So if I can gather all of that content, well, okay. It's, it's just going to waste. I mean, even the content that you can find on the Sermons 2.0 app and the Church One app and the beta.sermonaudio.com website or any of the podcasting apps, I mean, a lot of that content people are never going to find. They're just never going to find, unless they find my broadcast and decide that they're just going to, on their own, just start you know scrolling through everything and playing older stuff. But most likely because of how much content we produce in the present, they're never going to go back. So if I can just reach back there, grab it and bring it back to the present, maybe, just maybe, um, then it will actually get utilized and uh, well, benefits someone. I hope it benefits someone. And 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 I maybe I'm maybe I'm being too optimistic, but I'm hoping some of these broadcasts where I'm pulling things from the past, well, it starts present conversations and present questions, and then that may turn into future broadcast where we're talking about those things and helping people out. So I hope you will enjoy what we have for you today. We are going to go back to November the 1st, 2020. Uh, now, this is where we were involved in some, we, we would have like a live service here, and then we would live stream, live stream, live stream, and then have another live service. It made it very confusing sometimes because sometimes I would be 
preaching and, you know, and I felt that that content or that series or whatever we're doing really needed to be done in front of a live audience. But because of COVID, we would have a service and we wouldn't have a service. And based on what was going on in the local area, if anybody was sick, I mean, it, we were, it, we were just trying to figure it all out. And so we had started a series on the Niagara Creed. We had started the series on the Niagara Creed. I'd done part one in front of everyone. And then it was time for part two, but it was back to just live streaming. So I was sitting in the sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church by myself. And well, on November the 1st, 2020, I decided to, well, go ahead and do part two on the Niagara Creed. Now, this episode is somewhat interesting because you're going to listen to someone sing in tongues, not speaking in tongues, but singing in tongues. So you're going to hear a clip of that. I think that's interesting. But before we go back to November the 1st, 2020, let's talk about something quickly in the present. Let's talk about Theology Central Podcast. Now, as I've been telling you, the Theology Central Podcast is slowly but surely being, it's no longer going to be a part of any church. It's going to be a podcast standalone, and it's going to be a podcast. That's what it's going to be, a podcast and and I've always I've always advertised it that way. It's a podcast. It is a podcast. Don't don't view it as anything other than a podcast. A podcast about theology. A podcast where we do devotional messages, news commentary. We talk about theology, church history. We may do Bible studies. Uh, it, it may at times include sermons. All, all just but it's a podcast. But it really is going to now live in two very different worlds. And two very different formats, okay? First, the Theology Central podcast that you hear here on the Sermons 2.0 app, the Church One app, uh, the sermonaudio.com uh, websites, that's going to stay in its current format. That means no commercials, no ads, and that's going to be very much, its existence is going to greatly depend on if people support it. If people give, it lives. If people don't, it will disappear literally in, in, you know, as soon as I realize that the money is not coming in, it goes away. It's that simple. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be completely listener supported. It's not being supported by any church or any other organization. It's going to be supported by the listeners. And if they listen, well, then they'll, they can open up the church one app, the sermons 2.0 app and listen to it commercial free. They can listen to the live broadcast and all of that. If they don't think that's important, it will disappear. It's also going to exist in a different world, and that is on all the podcasting apps, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of those. Now, on some of those podcast apps, you will find the sermon audio version, right? Because you'll see the Theology Central artwork, and underneath it, it'll say sermon audio. If you see that podcast on any of those apps, that's the sermon audio version. But if you look on the podcasting apps and you see Theology Central and it has our artwork and you see none of the uh, sermon audio branding, you don't see that anywhere, well, that podcast now will have commercials. It will have ads at the beginning and at the end, all right? And we are doing that because, well, it, it, look, it cost because we were, we were going to take our podcasting hosting site and reduce that to... Zero. We were going to make that a zero. But if we did that, we were going to lose all of our content. Where we're going to lose that archive. So to keep the the content there, to keep that large library available, 
Well, now we have to pay money. So we've got to find a way to support. We've got to find a way to support what's going on on Sermon Audio. We've got to find a way to support, well, it being on all those podcasting hosting sites. And the way our podcasting hosting site suggested is there's one easy way. You can either put content behind a paywall and charge people subscriptions, or obviously you can continue to try to get people to give or to help supplement all of that and pay for the Sermon Audio podcast in this other form, well, you can put ads there. So that's what we have done. Um, and it, it, some of you may agree, some of you may disagree, but remember, Sermon Audio Church One, it's commercial free. So I'm giving you the commercial fee free version there. And then the other will have ads. Now, if you support us financially, okay, well then I would challenge you to use the Sermon Audio Church One app. All right. But if you don't, you can help us big time by listening to us on the Spreaker app. That's Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, Spreaker, not speaker, Spreaker. Download the Spreaker app and listen to us on that. That would be really helpful. Or listen to us wherever you get your podcast from. And because now you're just going to hear an ad right at the beginning, uh, and then it'll be all the content. So it's really the podcast now exists in two different worlds and two different formats. The commercial free format, which will be on Sermon Audio and uh, the Church One app and the Sermon Audio website, uh, that will be commercial free. And then the other way it exists is going to be with commercials, and that's going to be on all the podcasting hosting sites. If you listen on the other ones, hey, you're, you're helping us out. You're helping us out. If you don't want to support us that way, great. Listen on the other. If you listen on the other, just know the other only exists if you help us out. So that, uh, and, and you can, uh, of course, donate by going to theologycentral.net or on the Church One app, hitting the Give tab, or on the Sermons 2.0 app, hitting the Give tab. So you really have a couple, you have different options and different ways you want to listen and different options and how you may or may not want to help us. Or you don't have to do anything. You can just stop listening because some people will be very disappointed in what I have done. But I am trying to figure this new world. This is all new for me to have this completely disconnected from anything else. And now the podcast has to stand and live on its own. So we will see what happens. But I want to at least give you that very, very quick update. Hopefully, I, I, I probably will do a an episode, a quick episode where I just do an update on everything anyway. But that change happened literally, I don't know, 30 minutes ago, an hour ago. I, I looked over, got a message from our podcast hosting site. Then I went to, I think, Spotify, went to Theology Central, hit play. And well, there was a commercial. And I'm like, okay, they, they've already, they've already found us plenty of, uh, sponsors. Okay. So we will see how that works. I don't know. It may, it may, may be in a, a, it may be an attempt in futility. It may be useless, but we were going to give it a try. Now, with all of that said, let's go back to November, 2020. I remember those days back then where I didn't have to worry about any of this, but those days are over, but let's do this. November the 1st, 2020. I'm going to do Niagara Creed part two, but before I get to it, well, you're going to listen to a woman sing in tongues. And then of course you will hear my thoughts on the whole situation. So here we go. November, 2020, the Niagara Creed part two. Good morning, everyone. It is Sunday, 
November the 1st, 2020. It is currently 9.55 a.m. Central Time, and I'm here at Victory Baptist Church for, I guess we'll call this the Sunday School Hour. I guess we'll call this the Sunday School Hour. I mean, we're live streaming this morning, so Sunday School, morning worship, the time. I mean, does anything even matter anymore? What 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 matters anymore? I I, I don't know. But yes, I'm here. I've been here uh, a long time this morning, and um, I've done a lot of things. Uh, if you if you if you haven't been listening, you see, I started this morning off uh, st- doing kind of a devotional thought in regards to President Trump and King Uzziah, Isaiah chapter six. I think that's very interesting. Now, I don't think people are going to like what I think maybe we should pray for because I think uh, what I say that we should pray for in that message will probably frighten everyone who claims to be a Christian, especially if you are conservative in your uh, politics. But there is a biblical reason why I said we should possibly pray for that. I said possibly, uh, but you can uh, you can go listen to that. Then we did, uh, I did almost an hour from uh, chapter 9 of book 1 of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. <laughs> that chapter, you talk about a relevant chapter in light of everything going on in 2020 and in light of all of the arguing and debating many churches are doing about what we should obey or not obey. Thomas Akempis comes along and hits us with a chapter on obedience and submission. And uh, wow, there's a powerful Powerful quote at the end of that chapter. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, gonna give it away. You should go listen to that. And we looked at a number of scripture. And then for the VBC Bible Institute, I gave everyone two assignments in the VBC Bible Institute. I gave everyone a biographical study that they need to do. And then I give them a word study. And the reason we're doing this word study is because, well, in the VBC Bible Institute this morning, we listened to a few minutes of this. Glory, glory, glory. It is time. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, for the time has come to ha se and ha se bo and amushikila basitu and alimureke and otula majide kruti izinolumure vishikila pose. And no, 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 Tile Baraki, no, ho, 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 for te bashela, ha, ha, Isula dikidi moza, te borove abaste, Isle mukrati sumiatisto. Yes, uh, we listened to we listened to some of that in the VBC Bible Institute this morning, and because and the reason we did so is Genesis chapter ten three times the English word tongue or tongues is used. So I want uh, I gave everyone an assignment to do uh, that is uh, do a word study of the word tongue tongues because um, if you don't figure if we don't figure out what exactly that word means by the time we get to the book of Acts and charismatics come along and say tongues is the supernatural ability to speak basically gibberish or what they would refer to as a heavenly language well is that actually true based on how the word tongue tongues is used throughout the bible so it's used over a hundred times in the old testament over 50 times in the new testament um the new testament word is gl- uh, glossa uh, uh where we get the word glossary 
And so uh, you can, uh, well, you can go uh, listen to that. Uh, two assignments from the Bible uh, Institute this morning. So we've, we've got a lot of things done this morning. Uh, Trump and King Uzziah, the imitation of Christ, and uh, a BBC Bible Institute, uh, uh, two assignments. So I think we, we think, I think we did pretty good this morning getting some things done. It, I always get here early and think that I'm going to knock out like seven live broadcasts, eight live broadcasts. And then I'll be, it'll be great. And then I'll feel like I accomplished something. And no matter how many I do, when it's over, I feel like I didn't finish enough. I didn't accomplish enough or I don't like any of them. So it's, I hate that cycle. Like, hey, I'm excited to go to the church and, and, and do some live broadcast. Then when I drive home, I hated everything. It was useless. It was a waste of time. Why did I go do it? And then, oh, the next day, okay, I'm going to go do some live broadcast. I hate that. Well, now it's time to do a live broadcast and hopefully it's going to be beneficial. All right. So there's what we've done. Now here's where we're going. All right. We're going to return back to the Niagara Bible Creed or the Niagara Creed, I think is the, is the more technical term. Some refer to it as the Niagara Bible Conference Creed. It's a lot of different names referenced in church history. We'll just call it the Niagara Creed. And if you remember why we are doing this, well, we took a little break because I still don't know what to do with Romans chapter seven, and that's going to uh, end up in all kinds of controversy. And I'm not really willing to, maybe I'm just a coward, but I don't really want to have to deal with that controversy right now. There's enough controversy going on in the world. Uh, There's enough problems going on in our world. So maybe I'll wait till all of the controversies in the world end, and then we'll go to the controversy of Romans seven. Obviously, if I do that, we'll never get to Romans seven, but my thinking was, I'll set that aside at least for now, and I'll do something that I think is very, 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 very relevant. Right now, uh, Christianity is in serious trouble. It is being redefined. It is being systematically destroyed um, right in front of our very eyes, and it's being redefined and destroyed in, in, in most cases by those within the church. And so I gave you all the different ways it's being attacked. I talked about progressive Christianity, Christian nationalism, political hijacking of the church, biblical historical illiteracy. All this is leading to Christianity being really destroyed. And and let me make, I I keep making, I want to make sure I make this very clear. It's being destroyed in a sense that it's being redefined of what Christianity really is, what it actually stands for, what it actually means. In fact, I, I saw yesterday an article basically saying that if you're a Christian and you do not vote, you're in sin. Well, at at what point did it now become mandated that as a Christian, if I don't vote, I'm in sin? Where is that a sin in the Bible? Where, 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 where did, where, where, how can I put people under that bondage that, hey, thus says the Lord, thou shalt go vote. And if you do not, you are in sin. Where is that in scripture? Now, remember, this is Protestants saying that while we run around saying scripture alone. And then we put whatever we want in that scripture. So it's not really scripture alone. It's what you tell me the scripture says, even when it doesn't even say that, right? There's nowhere where it says, if you don't vote, you're in sin. You can't, you can't do that. But that's a redefining of what Christianity is. That's a redefining of what the Bible says. And that will ultimately destroy Christianity. Once you redefine Christianity, then historical biblical Christianity is no longer present. And that is what Christians need to wake up on. Now, the reason we turn to the Niagara Creed is because the Niagara Creed comes to us in the 19th century where Christianity was seriously under attack. Last week in in part one, 
We looked at uh, some of the ways it was under attack. I gave you a long list. I've done this. Uh, if you go back and listen to what we did in, uh, uh, in regards to the little mini series I did on the origins of fundamentalism, I talked about all, how uh, Christianity was under attack in the 19th century, and some of those same things are happening today. So I thought, you know what? 19th century, Christianity is under attack. In many ways, it's trying to be rewritten and redefined. And these men start meeting um, before they even held the conference, and they ended up creating a basically a 14-point creed called the Niagara Creed, which will ultimately then bring about the Niagara Bible Conference. And you can then trace that to the fundamentals and all the things that kind of gave rise, gave birth to the modern fundamentalistic movement, the modern fundamentalist movement. And fundamentalism tried to fight against what was happening to Christianity. And we need to get back to the fundamentals. We need that more than ever right now in, in Christianity. If we do not get back to the fundamentals, define the fundamentals, define what Christianity is. We know it, we define it, we can defend it, we can explain it, we can teach it. Every Christian needs to be able to explain it, teach it, and defend it. If you cannot, well, then you're not doing your job because you have the work of ministry that you have to do, but then you're vulnerable to the rewriting of Christianity and you won't even realize it. So we, we, I think this is a very important subject. So we introduced the creed last week. Let me just remind you briefly of some basic information here. Some basic information. If I can uh, find my notes here on the iPad. Here we go. Uh, just to remind you that they, they, in 1878, that's the date I think most books agree on, 1878, they, they put together a 14-point creed, again, known as the Niagara Creed, the Niagara Bible Conference Creed, the Niagara Conference Creed. It's known by a lot of different names. We're calling it the Niagara Creed. And those 14 points, now, if I had everyone here in front of me, I would have you repeat them to me to remember, to say that you know them. Here are the 14 points. Number one, the verbal, plenary, inspiration of the scriptures in the original manuscripts. The verbal, plenary, inspiration of the scriptures in the original manuscripts. Number two, the Trinity. Number three, the creation of man, the fall into sin, and total depravity. All right. Uh, next, the universal transmission of spiritual death from Adam. Next, the ne necessity of the new birth. Next, redemption by the blood of Christ. Next, salvation by faith alone in Christ. Next, the assurance of salvation. Next, the centrality of Jesus Christ in the scriptures. Next, the constitution of the true church by genuine believers. Next, the personality of the Holy Spirit. Next, the believer's call to a holy life. Next, the immediate passing of the souls of believers to be with Christ at death. And last, the premillennial second coming of Christ. Those are the 14 points. All right, so we kind of introduce those 14 points and then we introduce really point number one. Point number one deals with the inspiration of the scriptures. And if I was here, I would ask you, why do you think they started with this? And I think it's obvious. If you do not have a source of authority, if you do not have a foundation that is, that is the source of defining what Christianity is, then Christianity can be defined by anyone and everyone. But, and, and here's the sad part. Even though as Protestants, we claim the Bible is the final authority and even the Bible is the sole authority, even with it there, people will still come along and try to redefine what Christianity by doing this, by, by placing things in the Bible that are not even there, trying to take things out of the Bible that are there, or trying to make the Bible say things that it never, never intended to say. 
It's just, it's just crazy the things Christians are saying right now, especially in, in light of the election and about COVID. And they're trying to make arguments that they say that this is what Jesus would do or this is what the scriptures say. Like, for example, if you don't vote, you're in sin. There's no scripture that states that. You cannot say that. Um, they, 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 I, I've seen articles arguing that Jesus right now would be doing everything in his power to, to remove corrupt this, corrupt uh, politicians, and he would be trying to get these kind of leaders elected. And it's like, where do you get that in the Bible? There's nowhere where he said, tells his followers to go and win an election or get elected. He, none of that is there. So, um, it, even with the Bible, it's, 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 it's difficult enough even with the Bible in place, but you remove the Bible you destroy the authority, the trustworthiness of the Bible, then you then listen, everything's going to sink. So they started their their creed with like we've got to get back to the Bible. We've got to get back to it. And the and the first point, their their the first point of the creed is about the inspiration of scripture, and this is what they write in in the creed, right? Here is the first paragraph of the Niagara Creed, all right? We read this last week. Let me read it to you again. We believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, by which we understand the whole of the book called the Bible. Nor do we take the statement in the sense in which it's sometimes foolishly said that works of human genius are inspired, but in the sense that the Holy Ghost gave the very words of the sacred writings to holy men of old and that his divine inspiration is not in different degrees, but extends equally and fully to all parts of these writings, historical, poetical, doctrinal, prophetical, and to the smallest word and inflection of a word, provided such a word is found in the original manuscripts. Let me read that to you one more time. We believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, by which we understand the whole of the book called the Bible, nor do we take the statement in the sense in which it is sometimes foolishly said that works of human genius are inspired, but in the sense that the Holy Ghost gave the very words of the sacred writings to holy men of old, and that his divine inspiration is not in different degrees, but extends equally and fully to all parts of these writings, historical, poetical, doctrinal, prophetical, to the smallest word, and inflection of a word, provided such a word is found in the original manuscripts. Now, we can read that, and that can sound very academic. It can sound very theoretical. It can sound like, okay, here's this, here's the idea, but trying to get the idea down into like, you know, real life that we can really see some of these concepts at work. I thought that maybe we should, we should, instead of just going at the scriptures they throw out there for, to support it, maybe we should kind of approach this a little differently. And I, and I think what we're going to do this morning hopefully will be beneficial. And it should be beneficial, at least to the members of Victory Baptist Church or to anyone who follows along with, when I give you Bible study exercises, because you should have already done a Bible study exercise that's really going to fit in perfectly with this, all right? But uh, let's let's go to the first, the scripture that they offer, the first scripture they offer to support this creed. And that is, and you know it, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, 16, this is the verse. Everyone knows it. 2 Timothy 3, 16, everyone quotes it. 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture 
is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, again, that, that's a wonderful verse. It tells me all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's wonderful. But again, it's, it's not, I, I can't really, it, it's like a skeleton without any flesh. It's like an ideal that I, 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 I can kind of try to comprehend it. I can try to, I can try to understand what it means, but it, I, I just can't really, I can't really touch it in any meaningful way. I can try to comprehend it. I can try to think about it, but I, I need something a little bit more fleshly, something more, more down to earth that I can see. So what I want to do is I want to look at a chapter in the Old Testament where there's real people and a real historical situation. And some of these concepts dealing with the Bible and inspiration are being played out in real time. And we can kind of enter into the story, watch what happens, watch the characters and try to see some of these principles being put into practice in a real and meaningful way. All right. So I, 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 I hope I hope that this will work. I hope that this will be beneficial to everyone. Obviously, uh, members of Victory Baptist Church, if you have any questions or if you're confused, uh, then you know, please let me know in the chat. I will try to ch- uh, check it here or there. All right, but are you ready? Here we go. What we're going to do is we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 36. We're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 36, which is a chapter that I told everyone to do a Bible, to do a guided Bible study exercise on. Uh, some of you sent me your outlines. Uh, some of you actually put in the work and did the work, and I'm very grateful. Um, I, I do those Bible study exercises not for my benefit, because in most cases, I've already done some study. I do those for your benefit, and I really wanted everyone to really spend some time in Jeremiah 36, because I believe Jeremiah 36 is a perfect chapter where we take these concepts, inspiration, you know, God's word and all of the, and, and we see it being played out in real time, in real life with real people in a historical setting. And so we're just going to work our way through this. I have an outline that I'm going to kind of utilize here. Um, I just turned off my iPad. I don't know why, because all my notes are, <laughs> all my notes are on the iPad. I probably could do it without the notes. I probably could, but I want to make sure that I at least have them to to reference, all right? So here we go. We're going to jump in to Jeremiah th- uh, chapter 36. First, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Now, Jeremiah 36, a couple of things before we jump into this. Jeremiah 36 contains, I don't know, how I haven't counted. <laughs> it feels like it contains about 1,000 names. And these are names that uh, I hope I will pronounce correctly. I hope that if I don't state them in a correct way, that that will not become so distracting that you miss out the, the, the point of the, of the message. I've tried to go over them a number of times. I've tried to listen to them a number of times. But there's a very good chance that in the midst of preaching, when you're preaching and I'm thinking about this, that I'm just going to just mess up the names. I do apologize for that. There are a lot of them here, a lot of them. But well, well, but the, there, there's. It's not the names that are important. It's everything that's happening. All right. So just we're going to just try to work through this. All right. So are you ready? Jeremiah chapter thirty-six. First, the first the way I broke this down. The first thing I want to look at is verses one through four, and you'll see why. Jeremiah chapter thirty-six, starting verse one. And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord. All right. 
Now, I want you to just pay close attention. We have an actual historical setting, right? And we are given the historical setting. Came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord saying. So now here is God who's going to give his word to Jeremiah. This is the whole idea of how God gives his, when God reveals himself. And when he reveals himself, he reveals himself to certain people in a certain way. And you're going to see how this all plays out. We're, we're Basically what we're going to get here is we're going to get the idea of revelation, God revealing something that man would not have known apart from God revealing it, right? He's going to reveal something. We're going to get really the idea, the idea of revelation, the idea of inspiration, and we're going to get the idea of inspiration being placed in a written form. So we're going to get the idea of God revealing, God inspiring, that God breathing his word to someone, and that word being written down. We're really going to have all of the concepts coming together right here in a pretty powerful way. So let's look at what happens here. So we it's, uh, it's the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord saying, now look what he says, take thee a roll of a book and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spake unto thee from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. So he's going to give him his word and he wants the word written down. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. God breathed it. Okay, we understand it, but this is now it being played out in a real way. God is giving the words to Jeremiah and those words are going to be written down. Again, look at verse two. Take thee a roll of a book and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel. So all the words I've spoken unto you, he's given, he's revealed these words to Jeremiah. Now Jeremiah is to write them down, right? Uh, verse three, it may be, so he, I want you to write these down, that it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do unto them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch. Jeremiah calls Baruch, the son of Neriah. And Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. Now we have, we have in a sense, a revelation. God's going to reveal to Jeremiah. He then basically gives him the words. We can kind of refer to this kind of the idea of inspiration. God breathes those words. Jeremiah is to write them down. He calls the son of Baruch. And then the son of Baruch is to then... Um, uh, I mean, go back and read this. I don't want to misquote this. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. Then, then Baruch is to write these words down. So you almost, in a sense, have, if you think about it, you almost have inspiration, or you almost have revelation, inspiration, and you almost have transmission or the copying down of those words. You really kind of have all these concepts that we talk so much about. Well, how did we get God's word? God reveals it. He's, he's inspires it. It's written down and then it's written down. Then it's copied. 
We almost, in a sense, have some of these things playing out. In fact, if you, if you go back, in fact, here, here's what we'll do. We'll call, we'll call, uh, Anna, well, to outline this chapter, we'll call this first point, this first part of the outline, we'll say, number one, God's word written. God's word written, Jeremiah 36, verses one through four. All right, Jeremiah 36, one through four. And it's just interesting the way this is stated here. So, so let's go back all, all through this, all right? Jeremiah chapter 36. And I, and I, and I know I'm going to be very tedious here, but I want you to just really see how the, this is playing out in real time. A lot of times people say, well, how did we get the Bible? Here's kind of an example of it playing out in a way of how God's revelation ends up in written form. Right. So here we go. So the word. Uh, so uh, in the, in the it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that his word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying. So God speaks to Jeremiah and it says, "Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel." So it sounds like the way it's written in the King James. God had already spoken these words to Jeremiah. He's already revealed them. Now he wants the revelation to end up in written form. Right, so he tells them to take a roll of a book, write then all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the days I have spoke spake unto thee from the days of Josiah even unto this day. It may and then why is he writing this down? Because he wants to reveal something to the people. God wants to get his revelation to the people. And what does he wants to reveal to them? He wants them to understand the evil that he purposes to do unto them that they may repent that they may repent. He wants them to turn. He wants them to repent. God wants to reveal something to the people. Now, God's revelation, then he wants to reveal something to the people and he reveals it to an individual to get it into written form to be shared to uh, to the people, all right? Then verse four, then, and this is where it gets interesting. So do we understand that to be that Jeremiah wrote it down or does it mean that Jeremiah, Jeremiah, gets the word, and then he uses Baruch as the one to write it down, right? It's still the word from God to Jeremiah, from Jeremiah to Baruch, but it's still God's word. This is the idea of, of how the word gets from God to us, right? Did Jeremiah write it down? Because at first it sounds like that Jeremiah is the one told to write it down, but then verse four, Jeremiah calls Baruch. Let me read this again. The son of Neriah and Baruch wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord, which he had spoken unto him upon a roll of a book. So it's almost like Jeremiah is giving the words and then he's told to write it, but he uses Baruch as the one to write it down. Now we would believe that the words that he's written down, even though they're the revelation of God that goes from God to Jeremiah to Baruch is the, is the words of God. We would call it the inspired word of God. So this would be revelation inspiration, and transmission. The inspired word are the exact words given to Jeremiah, and then Jeremiah gives them to Baruch to be written down, and and being written down, that's the transmission of the inspired word of God. This is this being played out in real time in history. All right? We have an actual example of it. It's one thing to look at someone and say, hey, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Okay, well, how does that all work? Okay, well, the scripture in 2 Timothy doesn't explain it. Here we at least see a little bit of it at work, which I think is is very uh, important for us to to read and for us to understand. Okay, now, so the first part of our outline, we're going to call this God's Word Written, Jeremiah 36, 1 through 4. There's a lot of concepts going on there. There's a lot of concepts. 
I think we have revelation, we have inspiration, and I think we have, in a sense, transmission of, of that. I'm getting ready to take a drink of water. Uh, I think I think all I think all of the concepts are there, and I think that makes it very uh, interesting. Now, let's go from verse five. We'll break the next part down, verse five to ten. We'll, we'll we'll call this next section verse five to ten. I think we're going to call this next section God's word proclaimed. So we have God revealing. We have God in a sense. There's an idea of inspiring. He's breathing out those words, and then those words are being transmitted. Those words are being copied. Right Then we're going to have God's word proclaimed. Look what happens in verse 5. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am shut up. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. Now, let's stop right here. There's much dispute about this in church history. Why couldn't Jeremiah go to the house of the Lord? Why couldn't he go? What was his reason? Why? There's lots of theories. There's lots of theories here. And, and, and th- this is something that when you, when you read this, you should stop and go, well, wait, why, why couldn't Jeremiah go? Why couldn't he just go? What, what, what was the issue? And I'll, let me just throw out a couple of thoughts and a couple of ideas here. All right. I'm going to just going to give you some different things from different, uh, from some different commentaries. I, I just, I just kind of put all of these together. So I can't tell you like, these are just all thrown together. I just took different parts from different commentaries, so I can't give you every commentary that I reference here, but um, here we go. I am shut up, according to one commentary, not in prison, for there is no account of his imprisonment under Jehoiakim. All right, and it says Jeremiah 36, 19 and 26 are inconsistent with it. All right, let's look at Jeremiah 36. Let's look at verse 19, 36, 19. Um, then said the princes uh, unto Baruch, go hide thee, thou and Jeremiah, and let no man know where ye be. In other words, if, you, if, if Jeremiah can go and hide, then he's clearly not in prison, right? Clearly not in prison. Um, if he was in prison, then why would he have to go hide? I mean, you can't go hide when you're in prison. Um, yeah, and then if you look at verse 26, but the king commanded Jeremiah, or Jeremiah, uh, uh, Jeremel, the son of Hamalek, uh, Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shalamiah, the son of Abdel, to take Baruch, the scribe, and Jeremiah, the prophet, but the Lord hid them. So obviously, they're not in prison. If they're in prison, they could have went and got them. So why couldn't he go? Why couldn't he go? He's not in prison. Doesn't appear that he's in prison. The text seems to take away from this idea. He's not in prison. He can be hid. He, he's told to go hide. All right. So, hang on. Let me go back to my notes here. All right. Um, some think so. So, being in prison doesn't seem to make sense. The fact that he's shut up, that that fact that he is kind of prevented. Some means by some kind of hindrance that he's, he's hindered. He can't go because he's hindered. Some think he's hindered. Are you ready for this? Because of fear of the king. 
that that the reason he doesn't go is he's like, if I go with this message, I'm hindered to go. I'm prevented from going because if I go and give this message, the end of me. Now, I think that's funny because modern day Christians would say, come on now, Jeremiah, you need to have a little faith over fear. What's your problem? He, he's not in prison. So why can't he go? It seems like he's thinking it this way. Wait, if I go, right, and God gave me this message, then I would, in a sense, kind of be the first-hand, first source of information. I'm going to get killed. But if Baruch goes, Baruch is just sharing the information that someone gave him. He's just, he's not the primary messenger. He's a secondary messenger. He's just coming along going, hey, Jeremiah told me to bring this to you. So maybe the, the king's anger won't be directed at Baruch. It'll be ultimately directed at me. Maybe. But there, there seems to be an indication that maybe the reason he doesn't go is he's afraid to go. <laughs> which, which is it? Is it fear or is it trying to be as wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove? Is it fear or is it, is it, is it fear to take necessary precautions or is it foolish not to? Like, wh wh why can't he go? It's just very interesting. Now, the reason he can't go, I think, is awesome because it's his reason of not being able to go that, in a sense, leads to the whole revelation inspiration, transmission. So the historical setting really leads uh, to this, uh, to this. And I think that that's, uh, I think it's cool for that. Let's look at some other reasons that are spoken of here. Um, let's look at this, right? Some other ideas, all right? Um, and, and again, uh, one commentary puts it this way. He was hindered because of fear of the king to whose anger Baruch was less exposed as not being the author of the prophecy. So in other words, yeah, he, well, I mean, ultimately God's the author of the prophecy, but it was like, hey, Jeremiah is the original author. I, I just, I'm just copying down what Jeremiah told me to say. So, so that in other words, he, that, that, that the fear that Jeremiah had wouldn't have to be the same fear Baruch would take with him. All right. Here is another, uh, some other ideas. He was obligated by the king's order to stay at home. So maybe he was, he, th there was an order for him to stay at home and he was following that order. Now, wait a minute. Come on, in 2020, I thought we, you wait, Jeremiah, you're given a prophecy from God and you're going to follow the king's order to stay at home? Don't you know we don't listen to the government when they tell us not to do something? Don't you know you just rebel? You know you just don't follow the rules? Come on, Jeremiah, it's 2020. You should know what, obviously, you know, he's not, but that's what we would be telling Jeremiah right now. Don't listen. Don't, don't do what the government tells you. So was he following, why was he shut up? Why couldn't he go? Right? So maybe he was obligated to stay at home for the king's orders. Possibly, some say he might have been restrained by the spirit of God, that God did not want him to go. All right? Now, that requires a, a really adding some spiritual concept there that I don't think the text seems. He said, like, hey, Brooke, I can't go. I'm shut up here. So I'm going to need you to take care of this. He doesn't say, God has kept me from going. The text doesn't indicate that. Um, some say he had not freedom in his own mind to go abroad. There might be a restraint, an impulse upon a spirit by the spirit of God. A couple of commentaries try to make it all spiritual, but I don't know if there's anything spiritual there. I think he, he can't go for whatever the reason is. Some think he, he was under some legal pollution, which made him unfit to go into the temple. 
All right, maybe maybe he could not go because there was something going on that made him unclean, so he could not go. Um, some put it this way: I cannot go into the house of the Lord, laboring either under some bodily infirmity or ceremonial defilement, or was forbidden by the king. What was the true cause is not certain, but so it was that either he was discharged or disabled or disqualified from going into the house of God. Whatever the case may be, he couldn't go. He could not go. And I just think it's interesting that in our, our, our culture, that, that there's a possibility here that he couldn't, he did not, he did not want to go because of fear, or he could not go because of, of some possible order from the king. And guess what? He doesn't rebel. He's like, okay, what can we do? Well, I've got a message from God. I've got to get this to the people because God's told me to get this to the people. So guess what? I'm gonna I'm gonna use, in a sense, God revealed, inspired, and we're gonna use transmission. You're gonna copy this down and you're gonna deliver it to the people. Now, now look what happens, right? Look what happens. Remember, first point of our outline. First point of our outline, God's word written. Jeremiah 36, one through four. Now the second part of our outline is gonna show up in Jeremiah 36, five through 10. Jeremiah 36, 5 through 10. I know I'm, I'm not giving you the outline first. I'm kind of just building the point and then giving you the outline. You'll see what happens here. Jeremiah 36, 5 through 10. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch saying, I am shut up. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. Therefore go thou and read in thy roll, in the roll which thou hast written from my mouth the words of the Lord in the ears of the people in the Lord's house upon the fasting day. And also thou shalt read them in the ears of all Judah that came, that come out of their cities. It may be they will present their supplication before the Lord, will return everyone from his evil way. For great is the anger and fury uh, that the Lord hath pronounced against this people. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading in the book the words of the Lord and the Lord's house. And it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, and the ninth month that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem and to all the people uh, that came uh, from the cities of Judah unto Jerusalem. Then read Baruch in the book the words of Jeremiah and the house of the Lord and the chamber of Gamariah, the son of Shaphan, the scribe and the higher court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house in the ears of all the people. All right, now here's what I like. We have, we have the idea of revelation, inspiration, and transmission. God reveals, and in a sense, God inspires those words into to, to Jeremiah. Jeremiah transmits those words to Baruch, who then writes them down. That's more transmission being transmitted. And then here's what I want the second part. So we have God's word written, and next we have God's word proclaimed. God's word proclaimed. The word that God's word is revealed to the original uh, recipients. He inspires those words. Those words are transmitted into a written form. Those words are further, furtherly transmitted by copying, being copied, which we know that happened in church history. And then listen, people are to take that word and to proclaim that word. The word of God is to be proclaimed. Go to the book of Romans. Go to the book of Romans. Go to book, uh, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. 
Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And here we go. How shall they hear without a preacher? How, they shall, how, how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. God's word has to be proclaimed. God's word, there, there's the revelation of it, the inspiration of it, the transmission of it, and then there's the proclamation of it. There, the God's word is to be proclaimed. God's word is not just to be kept in your Bible. God's word is not just for there to you to know it. It's you to proclaim it to whomever you can, whenever you can, however you can. It's to be proclaimed. It wasn't, hey, here, hey, Jeremiah, I've got some good scripture for you. No, here's my words. These words are to get placed on in writing. And then there, and then Baruch, because Jeremiah can't go for whatever reason, you go Baruch and you read it in front of all the people. You, you read this in, in the ears of everyone. You, pro, you proclaim God's word to the people. God's word, God, God did not reveal himself, inspire his word, ensure the, the transmission of his word so that we don't, we don't simply, we don't do anything with it. We have a responsibility to proclaim it. We are to proclaim it because the people need it. I'm telling you, Christians today seem more com- more committed to proclaiming their political ideology than the word of God. You've got to get back to this is what people need. They need the word of God. This is what they need to hear. They need to hear a message of coming judgment and they need for repentance and turning back to God. Very, very straightforward, all right? So we have God's word written. We have God's word proclaimed. All right. Now let's do this. Let's go to, we'll, we'll start in verse 11. All right. And I think what we're going to do, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm fixing my Bible because uh, pages are falling out of it. I'm telling you, I, got, I need to get a new Bible. I keep forgetting that because all of the pages are falling out. All right. Now we're going to, I think what we're going to do, we're going to break the next section we're going to break the next section. I think what I want to do, I'm going to change my outline. <clears throat> we're, going to, we're going to break the, I'm going to take a drink of water really quick. There we go. <clears throat> there we go. I'm going to take another drink of water. <laughs> when, you're, when you're standing in front of the microphone here, like if I'm just standing in front of body, everyone with a wireless mic, I got no problem just going, <clears throat> trying to clear my voice. But it feels weird doing it in front of this microphone. So, so there we go. All right. Here we go. Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah chapter 36. See, when you're here hours doing live broadcasting, your voice can only hold up to so much talking. Okay. Here we go. Jeremiah chapter 36. So we have God's word written, Jeremiah 36, 1 through 4. God's word proclaimed, Jeremiah 36, 5 through 10. Now, the next section, I think we're going to break down. We're going to make it verse 11. I think we're going to go to 11 to 26, 11 to 26. And I think this is how I want to, to do this. I've got it. I've got it written down differently. But now that I'm thinking, I think I want to change it. We're going to have God's word reacted to, right? The reaction to God's word, God's word written, God's word proclaimed, God's word reacted 
to. All right? That's that's the best way I can I can I can uh, state it. All right, um, because I think what we read in verse eleven to twenty six is reactions to this message, reaction to God's word, and I think we see kind of two. I think well, I don't know. You you can you can tell me what you think. All right, Jeremiah chapter thirty six. Let's start in verse eleven. So in verse ten, Baruch is he's there. He's reading it in the gate of the Lord's house, in the ears of all the people. He's there proclaiming it. Boom, he reads it. Jeremiah is, he can't, for some reason, he can't show up. But guess what? Even though he can't show up for whatever reason, even if he was prohibited by the king, he doesn't disobey it. He still gets the message out. And guess what? No matter what happens to us, whether we can have a church or not have a church, we can still use whatever we have to get God's word out. We still can. All right. Now look at what happens in verse 11. Then Micaiah, the son of Gamariah, the son of Shapan, had heard out of the book all the words of the Lord. All right, so someone hears. It's proclaimed. God's word was proclaimed. Now, someone hears it. Let me hear again. Micaiah, the son of Gamariah, the son of Shapan, had heard out of the book all the words of the Lord. Then he went down into the king's house, into the scribe's chamber, and lo, all the princes sat there, even Alshama, uh, the scribe, Deliah, the son of Shemaiah, um, Elna, uh, then the son of Akbar, Gamariah, son of Shapan, Zedekiah, uh, the son of Hananiah, and all the princes. So he goes, there's all of these, uh, all of these leaders, I guess you could say, the princes, they're all there. Then Micaiah declared unto them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the book in the ears of the people. Now we could call this the sharing of God's word. We 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 could even leave this under the we could leave 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 this under the uh, God's word being proclaimed. We could have led left it under that point in the outline, but I'm going to separate this for a reason. Okay, so here we're going to look at re, how God's word is reacted to. All right, so the first reaction we have here, the first reaction we really have here to the word of God is from Micaiah. Right? Because Micaiah, the son of Gamariah, the son of Shapan, had heard out of the book of all the words of the Lord. Then he went down into the king's house, into the scribe's chamber, and all the princes sat there. They name all the princes. And look what, look at what he does in verse 13. Then Micaiah declared unto them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the book in the ears of the people. So the first reaction to it is to share it. Someone hears it and then they go and say, I've got to get this to all the, I got to get this to all the leaders. I'm going to go share this with everyone. Right? Now, Baruch is proclaiming it out of, a, 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 in a sense, a divine commission. He's been, he's been, com, he's been commissioned to go and do so. Here's someone who's not, in a sense, receiving some divine commission. He hears it and he goes and shares it. Some people hear the word of God and they immediately want to share it with others. There's some people who hear the word of God and they want to talk about it. There's some people who hear the word of God and they want to have discussions about it. And there's some people who hear the word of God and they don't seem to be moved even to have a discussion about it. They never want to talk about it. They could care less. Here, Micaiah, at least, uh, I got to go tell these people. Now, yeah, based off of the message, you can see why I want, want to go tell the princes. Remember, the message is to outline all of the evils God has a purpose to do unto them because of their wickedness. So, yeah, you can see why he would want to go tell everyone, hey, did you hear about this? All right, let's see what happens. So, Micaiah declared unto them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the book and the ears of the people. Verse 14. Therefore, all the princes sent Jehudai, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Shelemiah, 
the son of Cushai, unto Baruch, saying, Take in thine hand the roll wherein thou hast read in the ears of the people, and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the roll in his hand and came unto them. All right? Now, the first, so it's interesting, the first reaction we get is someone who just shares it. The second reaction is of people who hear it, but then they want, it's almost, they, I, I think you can almost say, do they want an explanation? They, do they want to understand more? They, they, wanna, they, they want to see the role. They, 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 want, they want some, un, they've got some questions. They've got some, they want to know something. They, there's something they want to figure out here. Let, let's, let's see how this plays out. All right, let's see how this plays out. All right, so look, look here. So th- then all, therefore all the princes sent Jehudai, the son of Nathaniah, uh, the son of Shalamiah, the son of Cushai, unto Baruch, saying, Take in thine hand the roll wherein thou hast read in the ears of the people, and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the roll in his hand and came unto them. And they said unto him, Sit down now and read it in our ears. So Baruch read it in their ears. They, they, they want to hear it for themselves. Like, okay, Machiai brought them the message, but now they want to hear it. Right. So, so the first reaction is someone, I, I think I've been going to do it this way. The first reaction is someone who shares it. The second reaction is people who want to know more about it. I, I think that's, I, I think that's a good way to do so. All right. Because there are, look, as someone who preaches, you know this. You can, you can preach. You can give scripture. Some people won't ask a question. They don't seem to care. They don't talk about it. And you got some people, you preach, and they're like, man, I got, I got this question. I got this question. I want to know this. I want to understand this. I want to know this. I want to understand this. I want to know this. I want, I want to know more. They, they, they seem they want to know more. In fact, look at what happens in verse 16. Uh, like verse 16. Now it came to pass when they had heard all the words, they were afraid, but both one and a other, and said unto Baruch, we will surely tell the king of these words. So the first reaction is to go share it. The second reaction is, hey, we want to know more. And the third reaction is fear. It led to some kind of fear. They feared what they heard. They reacted to it. Sometimes I wish Christians would actually show that we are concerned and that we actually, like, that, that the word of God actually means something. There should be some kind of emotional reaction to it. Fear. Anger, confusion, trouble. It should do some peace, joy. It should do something. But it's almost like sometimes we don't even take what the word of God says seriously, right? So, so I think, I think this is a powerful, a powerful example of, of how people can react to the word of God. So, so the first reaction, share it. Second reaction, we want to know more about it. Third reaction is fear. And then, uh, and then please note that we will surely tell the king all these words. Then they're going to go share it as well, but we've already got the sharing idea there, all right? Next, and they asked Baruch saying, tell us now, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth? Then Baruch answered them, uh, he pronounced all these words unto me, with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. And now stop right here. The next reaction is questions. The next reaction is questions. So first reaction, share it. Second reaction, you you know, we want to know more. We want to know more. We want to know more. Third reaction, fear. Fourth reaction, questions. 
I, I am baffled sometimes how people don't have more questions. I, to be honest, I'm baffled sometimes. So many times I will teach in such a way that I, I'm telling myself, I left, I, okay, the way I did this, should it should bring about at least 30 questions. It should be. And I don't expect them to ask 30, but there I should at least get 10. And then you get nothing. And you're like, did they not, what, what, I, what? What did I do wrong? I mean, that that scripture should have left them with 9,000 questions. What You should, the God's word should lead to questions. Look, they hear this and they want to understand. Like, how did you come to get this? Like, they want to know. They, so they wanted, not only did the other one want to know more, they wanted to hear it for themselves. But th- then it should lead to questions. Look, they've heard the message. Then they hear the message again because they want to know more. And now they have questions. God's word should lead to questions. I, 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 I'm baffled by how, how few questions people have in regards to God's word. Like, for example, when, it, we, when we read in Jeremiah that he was shut up, everyone who did the Bible study exercise should have been like, well, why was Jeremiah shut up? Why couldn't he go to the temple? I don't understand. Thank you. Good question. There's about 900 other questions we could ask so far that I haven't even brought up. But okay, <laughs> there's questions. Right. So let's continue. All right. So the princes, uh, so Baruch answered them. He pronounced now why he answered them. He should, he should have just answered with some more questions of what he should have done, but that's a whole different subject. So he, he says, then Baruch answered them. He pronounced all these words unto me with his mouth. And I wrote them with the ink in the book. So God gave the words to Jeremiah. Now, Baruch doesn't go into the God part, but we know how it all works. God gave the words to Jeremiah. Jeremiah gave the words to Baruch. Baruch writes the words down, all right? And it's just interesting because it seems like Jeremiah was told to write them down, but why does he have Baruch write them down? Well, that's a question. Like, did Jeremiah write down a copy himself and then have him copy it so he had the original copy? I don't know. I mean, we, we could ask a lot of questions there. Then said the princes unto Baruch, go hide thee, thou and Jeremiah, and let no man know where you be. All right, so they're like, look, okay, here. thank you. Thank you for explaining all of this. Now, here's what we would think you should go do. You need to go hide. You need to go run and hide. Why do they want him to go hide? Because the message is not one that is going to be well received. It's not, it's not a great message to walk to all the people and say, hey, guess what, everyone? You're about to be destroyed. You're about to be brought into captivity. Judgment's coming upon you. People don't like to hear those messages, all right? Say, so, hey, you should probably just go hide. You should probably just, uh, you may want to delete your podcast uh, because uh, people are going to come out to get you, all right? Like, yeah, that, this, this is a, a, no, we could call it another reaction. We, we won't call it another reaction, all right? So what are our reactions so far? Say, this is where I need everyone in front of me to repeat. The reaction first was to share it. Hey, Machiai hears it. He goes and shares it. Second reaction. Hey, we want to, we want to know more. We want to know more. You come and bring the book and you, the, the scroll and read it to us. Okay. Third fear. They had fear. Fourth, they had questions. Now, what, what's your reaction to God's word? How do you react to God's word? Do you go share it? Do you, do you, do you want to know more about it? Do you ask questions? Do you have any fear? Like, what's your reaction to God's, how do you react to God's word? Or do you not, do you just, just, I, I, you know, you do a Bible study and there's no real actual reaction of any kind. It's just an academic pursuit. It's an academic activity. You go to church and you don't even think about the sermon. You don't even think about the scripture after the sermon. Well, then something is desperately wrong. All right. Now, verse 20. And they went into the king, unto the court, 
But they laid up the roll and the chamber of Elshana, El- Elshama, the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. So, so they, they seem to really know that, hey, uh, we, 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 don't want, we don't want the scroll. And, and it's interesting, Baruch left it with them, right? Baruch left the scroll with them, which maybe it indicates that Jeremiah had a copy or indicated that Jeremiah had the words of the Lord. But he, he leaves the scroll with them, right? Leaves the scroll with them, right? Let me go back here. Um, they go to the king. And uh, they uh, told all the words of the ears of the king. Please note that, uh, that that same reaction, share it. Every every time someone hears it, they share it. Every time someone hears it, they share it. That that should be our reaction to God's word. Verse 21. So they tell the king all of this. So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll and he took it out of Elshema, the scribe's chamber. And Jehudai read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes which stood before beside the king. Now the king sat in the uh, winter house in the ninth month and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with a penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Now here's another reaction to God's word. Destroy it. Destroy God's word. Look, we we don't want it. We're going to destroy it. We no cut it, cut it up and destroy it. Cut it and burn it. Cut it and burn it. That's another reaction to God's word. So we've got share it. We've got to ask for. We got ask for more. We've got a question. Or we've got fear. We've got questions, and we've got uh, we've got uh, basically cutting it and burning it. These are all reaction to God's word. Where do I want to stop my, this point in my outline? I think we're going to stop this one in verse 26. I think this will we'll stop this point here. All right. So it comes to pass when Jehudai read the uh, three or four leaves, he cut it with penknife, cast it in the fire that was on the hearth, and all the roll was consumed and the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they, uh, yet they were not afraid nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all these words. Nevertheless, uh, Elnathan and Deliah and Gamariah had made intercession to the king that he would not burn the roll, but he would not hear them. But the king commanded, uh, and then it names a number of people here, uh, Jehamel, the son of Hamalek, and Sh- uh, Shariah, the son of Azarel, and Sh- uh, Shelemiah, the son of Abdel, to take Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. So the king wants, he wants the, he wants them because it's a hatred for God's word. It's a hatred for it. It's a hatred for it. So we'll stop right. We'll, we'll, we'll go back through our outline. First, God's word is written. Second, God's word is proclaimed. And third, God's word is reacted to. And what are the reactions we see here? We see a number of them. We see it being shared, right? You hear it, you immediately go share it. Okay. That's wonderful. You hear others who want to know more. Hey, Okay, we heard what you said. We come, come read it to us again. We want to know more. Third reaction is fear. Okay, I, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. What did that say? Okay, next questions. I've got questions. I've got lots of questions. And next, an absolute hatred for it. Cut it up, burn it, and then what? what basically, want to go after the people who who brought you the word of God. We, I want you know, basically, possibly to punish them. What is your reaction to God's word? What is your reaction to it? 
You say, well, I don't hate it. You may not hate it, but man, we sure can demonstrate a taking a knife to it. We sure can try to cut things we don't like out of it. We, sh- we sure can try to rewrite it to make it say what we want it to say. We can try to make it, put things in it that it never has to say. Parents do this all the time. We'll, we'll condemn something their kid's doing by, by trying to quote scripture and they're not even handling the scriptures correctly. Sometimes I think the best, the best defense uh, for a kid raised in a Christian home is to know the Bible better than your parents so your, your parents can't use the Bible against you. Right, because uh, that's I hate when parents do that. I hate when anyone does that. When pastors do that, telling you you can't do this, it's it, that's a sin. Well, where is that in the Bible? It's not, there's not it's not there. Okay, that that that's yeah, that's that's just as evil. It's cutting it up. It's burning it. All right, now I think we're gonna have to stop right there. We're gonna have to stop right there. Yeah, we'll stop. It's one hour. If I go into the next point, it's going to go too long. So we're going to stop right there. So what do we have this morning? We have the Niagara Creed that wants us to start with the inspiration of Scripture, which is kind of theoretical. So I took us to a historical story in Jeremiah 36 where we see God's word being written. And how do we see it? We see, we see revelation in a sense. We, we, in a sense, we see inspiration and in a sense, we see transmission. Now, again, not everything we see there perfectly fits these categories, but you can see the way it works. God has a message he wants revealed. He reveals it to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, it gets to Baruch. Baruch, it gets into written form. It, that written form then it, it's, it's, it's there. So God's word is written. That's Jeremiah 36, one through four. Then we have God's word proclaimed. Jeremiah 36, 5 through 10. Baruch takes the word that was written, that he wrote down, and he takes and he proclaims it to the people. We have to proclaim God's word. How will they hear without a preacher? How will they, not not people you know are just going to pick up the Bible and start reading it. You have to proclaim it to them in some way, shape, or form. Next, we see the reaction, or God's word reacted to. And what are the reactions? Well, one person, Machiai, he hears it, and he's like, I got to go share this. He goes and shares it. Then we have the people who hears the word of God and they want to know more. Hey, Baruch, go get the actual scroll and bring it to us and read it. We, we, want, go, go get, we want the actual scriptures. Read, read them to us. We, we want the actual words. So they want to know more. Then there's fear to it. Then there's questions about how it even got there. They have questions. And then we have a king who's like, wait, what? He doesn't even really say anything. He just hears it. I was like, cut, 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 throw it in the fire throw it in the fire. Oh, oh, could you bring me Baruch and Jeremiah? I mean, yeah, because I'd like to have a nice conversation. I mean, I just burn their message. Maybe I'd like to burn them too, right? That, that's hatred for God's word. All right, we'll stop right there. All right, there, there we finished the first hour. Next hour, we'll pick this up and, and, and carry this just a little further. All right, if you have any questions, ask away. Email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com or in the chat for the members of Victory Baptist Church. All right, everyone have a great day. We'll be back here shortly. God bless. And welcome back to Theology Central Radio, where we're digging into the archives. We're digging into the library. That was November the 1st, 2020. We had started a series on the Niagara, Niagara Creed, part one was done in front of the actual congregation, an in-person service. Part two was done, well, me in an empty an empty building live streaming. And that, if you go through that chapter in Jeremiah, it really, I think, I think it would have been better if I was preaching it in front of actual people. 
but I did the best I could with the circumstances. But what my approach there, I've done this every single time. When we study the London Baptist Confession of Faith, and you start with, in the, in the London Baptist Confession of Faith, I think you start with the scriptures, right? Well, anytime I'm looking at a creed, confession of faith, doctrinal statement that talks about the scriptures and elevate the scriptures and, and you know, the scriptures are this and the scriptures are that, a lot of people will just teach that in a very straightforward way. But to me, a lot of those concepts are theoretical, theoretical, theoretical. So what I did with an agri creed, like I did with the London Baptist Confession of Faith, is I always try to make it practical. Okay, it's great that we believe the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of God, and that it's this, and it's this, and it's this, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And well, that's all great that we can say all of those things, but it has to have some kind of practical impact, right? It it has to do something more than just we walk around talking about how great it is. It's got to do something. So we started the Niagara Creed and immediately I start trying to find a practical way to look at the scriptures and that story in Jeremiah. I think I, I, think I did an okay job with it. I don't think it was great. Uh, I would challenge you to go look at that story in Jeremiah and See what you think and see if I handled it correctly. All right, but there you have it. This concludes another episode of Theology Central Radio, where we dig into the archives of the Theology Central podcast, going back many years and hopefully while taking the past and making it once again relevant in the present to start new conversations, new studies, and new thoughts in the present. And hopefully you have benefited from, again, November the 1st, 2020. And that was the Niagara Creed part two. Thanks for listening. If everything works out, I'm going to be back and hopefully here in the next few minutes, and we will do a Theology Central podcast episode for the present because there's some breaking news about the Biden administration just canceling a whole bunch of debt. Well, we're going to look at how we should respond to that in a practical way, theologically. We have all of our theoretical theology. How should we respond to breaking news like this that you may not even think has a theological component? Well, we'll talk about that hopefully here in the next 15 to 20 minutes. Thanks for listening. God bless.